evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast, as you guys know, the only podcast dedicated to the revival of our beloved drive-in culture. And today we got two co-hosts, three-headed monster today, with Mark, our co-host and general manager extraordinaire, Mark, say hello. Hello. And of course, Jeff, projectionist, owner of the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, and my partner. Say hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. How you doing? (laughs) Very good. Uh, It's been an exciting week for us. Things are really revving up at the theater. But as you guys know, Mark has been really on the ball with getting some amazing guests for the podcast. And today we have a legend, literally a legend in our industry, Robbie Mack, who is the owner and I take it CEO at this point of Filmac, which produces and has been the longest running producing company of snipes, policy snipes, commercials, pretty much non-theatrical trailers, things like that, that you guys have seen your entire life. And we're going to talk about his love of the drive-in as well as his company. So let's welcome the man himself, Robbie Mack. Hello, everybody. Pleasure to be with you. Great to have you. And like I said, you are truly embedded in everybody's film going experience because your company is responsible for some amazing pieces of film, including Let's All Go to the Lobby and countless others. So why don't you talk a little bit about how the company started? I know you guys are a family run company. Uh, Your grandfather and father before you started in 1919, but I'll let you take it. Yes, as you said, Filmac was started in 1919 by my grandfather, Irving Mack, and he was originally in the newspaper business, editor, writer, that kind of thing, and then he realized when black and white silent nitrate film came out and theaters started, he wanted to move into something else, and he moved into making trailers in Chicago, Um, decided New York to actually be involved heavily in the film way before Hollywood. And uh, he started in Chicago and ended up getting married, having three sons, not from the TV show, My Three Sons, but pretty close to it. <laughs> Different three sons. And, yeah, if you remember that show. And uh, my father, Joseph, is the oldest, and there were two younger ones, and all three of the brothers were all in the business in the 40s and 50s after the war, uh, World War II. They all served in World War II. It developed into a family business, and then uh, I joined a company in 1974 after college and ran it along with my father, Joe Mack, until his passing. And then I still run the company today. It's a lot different since there is very little 35 anymore, which was really a true love of mine because I had business degrees and learned the craft of making film by starting out in production at Filmac and learning about the whole creative process of making film, whether it was the design stage, the animation stage, processing, printing, and um, picked up the marketing and the administrative end from my education. And I loved every minute of it because, as I always say to people, the drive-in industry and the people are the hardest working people I've ever met. Oh, God bless. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, especially when you're talking about the physical age of a lot of these properties. There's a lot to keep up with. My grandfather started out, as I said, black and white. It was nitrate. It was silent. And then they moved into non-nitrate, so safety film when Kodak came out with it. Uh, they they got optical sound. It was magnetic sound. And that optical sound was everybody knows who's run projectors. And then it got into another few phases of maybe like F-star-based film that never tore. Filmac was known to scotch guard our film prints. So they would never really scratch, and therefore they would last longer, and we thought we would give a lot of value to the theater owners who wouldn't have to replace the razor blade after buying the razor, if I can use that analogy. And um, it was was extraordinary because 3M came to see me and said, how about coating your film? And I said, with what? And I said, Scotchgard. And I said, well, I knew Scotchgard only from, you know, something you put on carpeting or sofas or something like that. I said, no, we're developing a new product. And that really kickstarted a lot of our trailers that went out to theater circuits in in, in mass so that, you know, they wouldn't have to be replaced as often when when, um, they would scratch. That was a big progression that that I noticed in the 70s. So that happened in the 70s, that big shift? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I joined in the 70s, so everything was in color. Everything was analog sound. I did see the digital sound come in uh, with Dolby, and then we adjusted our production equipment so we could print not only the analog soundtrack, but we went into the digital soundtracks. We had uh, SDDS and, and oh, MSD yeah. and all those other formats that everybody who's in the projection business knew because you got to get your sound adjusted. So right. we all fell within the scope of tech and everything changing to digital, which today is a common word. Yeah. So you had to pretty much shift within at least your time at the company with all the trends in which really was the audio movement. Did you have to see the big shift? Well, obviously with the digital, but was there anything else that kind of stood out as a big shift? When, like, when did you guys really hit the market as far as um, like uh, dealing with the big companies like AMC, Regal, things like that. That happened uh, when the expansion of cinemas went from two and four screens to the multiplexes, which now you had 12, 24, 30 screens. And that was usually, you're right, AMC's, Regal's, Pacific, Carmike, um, you know, the whole group. that right. just went crazy with putting 20 screens under one roof. And before that, the majority of your business was drive-ins, am I right? Yes, huge drive-in, because back in, as far as I remember, hearing the 40s and 50s, people needed to get out of the house. Oh, yeah. Go go to a venue way before maybe there was even TV or any entertainment. I think there was just radio. I was born in 52, so I, I don't know. I just heard stories about that. And then, then they started the indoors, where you could promote that it was an air-conditioned facility, so you could stay cool and get out of the heat. Right. And then it, it, it expanded into uh, what theaters are known today. And the, and the drive-ins are still made somewhat of a resurgence. And I remember drive-ins was huge. And then they kind of kind of closed up because the value of the land, from what I understood, became more valuable oh, yeah. in the businesses. And I know that of drive-ins that sold and people retired. And then other people have come into the industry to take over young people because they thought it was a great business opportunity. 
and the driving tap survived and uh it's been it's been great yeah i mean 1919 you've been literally with the industry as it grew as it as it developed as it shifted and you guys really have had your fingerprint on it why don't you let people know your most popular kind of snipes the things that kind of live in their brain well we have two that have survived at the times and the fact that it's still used today and that's the let's all go to the lobby which is famous for the jingle but has the company picture and then it's the dancing hot dog um, oh yeah is from our refreshment clock uh, which was played during intermission at, at drive-ins but uh, we've had in the last five to ten years a number of requests for either one of those two trailers to appear either in TV shows, animated TV shows, in cinemas. It's amazing. The licensing that I'm doing now with the trailers is is pretty significant. And um, uh, Warner Brothers, MGM, they all have come to me to say, we want a license, let's all go to the lobby. So it's, it's turned into a little side business, which I do appreciate. And it brings back the nostalgia of these two classic trailers. Oh, absolutely. And do you know what year those two individual trailers first were created? Um, in the 50s. I don't have the exact, but I think late 50s. And that's good to mention. You guys not only distribute this material, but you produced it as well. Am I correct? Right. We used to have an art department that would do, if anybody knows the history of animation, was sell animation. And we acquired a, it's called an Oxbury animation camera, which was manual and you would turn the dials and stay up all night and, and shoot one frame of film on each cell. And wow. then in the early 80s, I found a company that computerized the Oxbury so that you could do all these special effects by step motors and repeat and keep the frame there and do different things. And that really helped the uh, animation of all the trailers we did before it went digital and you could do it with Photoshop and After Effects and everything as people know today. Right. Man, so you really shifted with the animation as well as things developed there. What what was that process like as far as uh, developing the concept for these snipes? Were a lot of them in-house or did you guys kind of get instruction from theater owners and things like that on what they needed? Yeah, great question. So initially... Uh, my grandfather and his art staff and, and, and my father, they had an art department and they had a creative staff who created this. And, and then they would do everything in-house. And then it got to a point where we had people come up to us, companies come to us like Pick Mosquito, and they say, would you make a trailer that would show yes. everybody remembers to Pick Mosquito so the drive-ins could sell the mosquito repellent? <laughs> oh, Yeah. And then we had a pickle company come to us and we made Chili Dilly Pickle, which is a classic. Yeah. And we show all of these, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And then we drafted into all sorts of entertainment, which was the clown refreshment trailer, which we actually played before the show intermission. And I think it supposedly drove a lot of people to the refreshment area because they were bored with it and they wanted it was time to go and get some refreshments or the kids could play on the playground <laughs> or whatever they wanted to do so it, it served two purposes but it kept the screen busy and um there were a lot of a lot of trailers that we had and um 
it was uh, it was quite a process to make them all and and uh, ship them. And that was when everything was in flat. If we all remember flat. And then yep. another another development came when they started projecting in scopes. So now everybody changed the projection system to a scope lens, and we had to change all our animation and all our work to scope. So you had to follow the tech. Right. It was amazing. Move with the times. Wow. Yep. That's incredible. Jeff, I know you had a, a question for Robbie that, that I think had to do with, we run that clown intermission reel, right? Yeah. One of my burning questions is, do you remember a 10 minute countdown trailer? It was black and white. It had two clowns on each side of a clock. There was a clock in the center. And it had old like 50s music or maybe even earlier. Five minutes until showtime. Blah, 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 blah. And Okay, yes. We, we did have a five and ten minute refreshment clock, which were full length. And it started in black and white and before color film. And then uh, we also had a process. We would take the finished prints and we ran them through a green tint process. So it gave it somewhat of a color. Yes. Differentiated from black and white. And these were full 10 minutes of film or five minutes of film. And it would be a countdown. Well, the reason I ask is because before the tinting, I have the original black and white, the 10 minute, not the five minute. I have the 10 minute countdown of the two black right. and white clowns with the clock in the center. And I'm just curious, mine is pretty spliced up. Do you have any of those left on 35? I have very little on 35 on those clocks. What does your 35 millimeter kind of library look like at this point? Do you try to house all that stuff yourself? No, when I, um, we phased out the business a little bit when everything went digital, uh, we stopped stocking the 35 millimeter prints, the popular ones. And then we, we drew down and then people would, would order from me. And then uh, it got to a point where it was very hard to find a lab uh, to actually print and process the film. So I have a lot of date strips still available, um, coming soon, feature press and all our, cause that we, we stocked, you know, 50 to hundred of them at a time, but I have very, very little clocks left and, uh, so far. And I take it that big shift happened for you when it happened for us, as, as you know, with the Mahoning drive-in theater, uh, we decided to stick with 35 millimeter when the whole industry shifted to digital, which for us really came to a head around 2014. I take it you felt that heat before that yes we found that the bigger circuits would convert to digital and keep one or two of their screens filmed so we saw a diminishing demand for the film prints and then we saw the squeeze on the independents who were told by the studios you go digital by christmas or you won't get all the release and film and then i you know they, they had the frustration i remember that yeah they had the frustration of coming up with the money to buy the digital system and what we're going to do with all the 35 millimeter projectors. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Boat anchors and scrap metal. That, that was the sad thing. And then the theater owners, I talked to at all our conventions as well. We can't afford another 100,000 this time or 150,000. So then the studios and some of the associations would say, well, you can lease them from us. So they made right. it more affordable for theaters to convert over. And I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things. We've become really like a living museum because we present 35 millimeter each night. It's it's become a draw. People who truly love 
35 millimeter and obviously the the draw of the drive-in and its culture but what's your history with obviously we know 35 millimeter but what's your history with drive-ins did you go as a kid did you were you a, a theater going kid i take it yeah well we had one drive-in in the suburbs which we would go to as kids i, I have a couple of fond memories of it and then the rest of the, my memories is going in downtown Chicago, my grandfather to what used to be called ABC or Plitton, uh, Elvin and Katz, big movie houses in, in yeah. Chicago. And we were feeding five and seven, eight hundred with a balcony. And, right. and then they expanded to um, balconies out here. And I remember taking my, my two sons to see one of the Raiders of the Lost Arcs. <laughs> movie love it and, uh, <laughs> and we got there early and sat in the first row of the balcony and and the three of us just had a, had a great time and those are really fine memories yeah we love those theaters that still are keeping it alive those movie houses if you will that really represent the culture on an indoor level because we talk about how kind of sanitized the uh, movie going experience is now and when you experience it in a historical theater like that it almost takes you out of body and takes you back in time if you're lucky enough to see a movie that's classic. Sure, I, I totally agree with that. It, it was quite an experience to be in there with five or 600 people. Oh, God, yeah. Um, any movies jump out as far as movie memories at the drive-in that you uh, may remember that you caught? No, not really. I was probably too young, and the movies I don't remember uh, from the early 50s, Yeah, I really can't think of any. It's amazing how often that happens. We try to ask every guest that, and it's it's more this feeling, this memory that you spent with your family or whatever the case is, and the movies are totally secondary. That's what I feel the, uh, the, the power of the culture is, is in theory, it's a screen, it's a building, it's a projector, and you come onto a large field. The memories and the fun that you make is really on you, you know? And uh, the experience that we try to deliver at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater is totally anchored in its past, in the fact that we run old equipment, everything's untouched, nothing's updated, still single screen, and your material hitting our screen gives an instant nostalgia. And as you know, nostalgia is the most bankable market in the industry right now. And I'm sure that's why you're getting all these film companies coming to you and saying, we have to license the most nostalgic piece of film on the planet. <laughs> yes, uh, it's been amazing. Uh, the agency for Nissan Rogue came to me about six months ago, and they have a TV commercial that you saw um, where they're driving around to go to the theater and oh, yeah. in the drive-in. And in the upper left corner is a screen, and they, they licensed one of the trailers. The first big one was when we were in the background of Greece, if you remember yeah. that, when they oh, were yeah. driving the uh, that was probably one of our first licenses, and um, we we did uh, uh, something with friends on TV. Wherever there's a reference to a drive-in, you gotta have it. They want something on the screen. Yeah, you gotta have it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the agencies are great people. They're authentic. Um, they're they're totally saying we want authentic. We're we're gonna work with it. We're not gonna try to cheat around it. And the clients love it. It's beautiful. As far as the past goes. Uh... Uh, what you remember was National Screen Service a big competitor of yours? Um, in a way, they were. They started out distributing the coming attraction trailers, as you know, yes. uh, in New York. 
and they did have a facility in Chicago, but they weren't really big in producing custom trailers. They were more of, uh, of distributing what the studios or what they would produce. They would cut together those coming attraction trailers. And then, of course, that business dried up when the studios in California did their own. And then there became shops that just did those trailers. Um, but National, National Screen was, was, was a good company, and um, uh, we, were, we were fairly friendly competitors. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. That's great. That's great. And that's the thing. Doing the, the research on your company, it's you guys really uh, were the industry. You guys really were the number one name. And even now, when people bring in collections that they have or whatever the case is, nine times out of ten, there it is. Phil Mac. Yep. Yeah, that's good to hear. Oh, yeah. But you guys have uh, have produced these uh, ongoing. And I'm a little bit younger than Mark and Jeff. And the one I remember that was big, and I'm, I'm thinking was your guys, was the AMC Silence is Golden. Well, that was you guys, right? Yes. So in that case, we worked with the agency to produce a number of trailers. There was a, uh, a Coming Soon trailer. There was a Feature Press. And then they did the Silence is Golden. And those were uh, revised a few times. And those lasted over probably about a 10-year period. Yeah, it was just uh, like literally embedded in my my movie going memory just as much as let's all go to the lobby is for the generations before me, you know? Right. And there were circuits like General Cinema out of Boston, which had the projector, which would film, which were animated. Every circuit seemed to have their own branding. Yeah. And then the consolidation took place where AMC bought General Cinema. And then and then it became these monster companies just bigger and bigger and today you got three or four of them regal amc and, oh yeah and um you know so forth and it, it yeah. was really a progressive thing and the screens just multiplied it's crazy now we're curious obviously being a 35 millimeter drive-in what's your percentage of of do you still have companies that work with you that are kind of strictly 35 or looking for 35 or has had has your whole entire clientele and business shifted to cater to digital yeah i i can say that uh, i would say 96 percent is all mm -hmm. digital now amazing and you guys are amazing that you could stay in 35 and survive and bring back that experience and that's what it's all about is you know if there aren't theaters like us and many others this is a medium that will die this is a medium that'll die out and have no need no love and we feel so blessed to not only be able to run what is now once in a lifetime screenings because it's on 35, but to be able to build a fresh fan base for 35 millimeter. This will warm your heart. We have a 17 year old fan that comes to the theater pretty often. And we figured he was just kind of there as enjoying the movies for the movies. But turns out he's a huge 35 millimeter fan. He comes back the next summer with a print and said, I got a 35 millimeter projector installed in my basement. It's a kid, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's really amazing to see that push and love actually go into the hearts of, of the youngsters. Yeah, it is. We, we saw a resurgence of people converting home theaters to, you know, beside the VHS and all that stuff. Uh, they wanted to go back to do 35 millimeters, some even 16. So we, we saw a little bit of that for real real pioneers and real uh, authentic film people. One thing stands in mind is that when you mentioned the drive-ins, uh, you asked in particular what has stood out, there was a 
theater in, uh, I believe it was Nebraska or Iowa, that their screen was demolished by a tornado. And uh, they rebuilt it. And I think they added a second one. And then something happened in another storm. And we helped them develop a trailer to raise money so they could fix the second screen because the insurance company would not pay up again because of the possibility of the storms coming through. And um, that was a digital. Uh, they were originally a 35 millimeter custom, and then they converted over to digital, and and uh, it stood out as you know really a nice thing for them to stay in the community. And all the local merchants donated money, and then we made a trailer honoring all the participants in town. And oh, that's it was amazing. really successful, and I think they still survive today. Yeah, that's what that's what we say. the The drive-in was born out of a, a community space, like you said, a place for people to get out of the house, get out of their heads, gather as a community, and that's just as essential now as it was when it was first birthed. So. It's incredible. I think uh, we try to do as many stories as we can on the show. But the unfortunate thing is nine times out of 10, it's, you know, your childhood drive-in is being demolished to become apartments or, you know, a target or whatever the case is. But we love those stories of uh, communities rallying to uh, save their community drive-in. There's been a lot of theaters in small towns that were afraid that the bowling alley closed up or anything else and they kept their theater going as a community theater they took over because they wanted something for the young people to do as well as all the families to be able to go and these are some of these are indoors not necessarily drive-ins drive-ins right yeah and it does it's the sense of the community a lot of these people have the memories going with their parents going with their grandparents whatever and Sometimes that's enough to kind of keep that community appeal going. That's why we always champion these indoors that, you know, seemingly are threatened constantly. These classic theaters, indoor houses that, you know, are threatened because it's it's real estate. It's sitting there in the city and it's it's ready to be made into a clothing shop or whatever. So any sort of effort to keep it uh, alive is beautiful. We know of a number of drive-ins that, uh, we're sitting on valuable property and, and uh, they, they sold. And I remember one where, I don't know if it was a Walmart, they actually bought land for another, for the same theater to move a mile away. Uh, wow. Um, interesting stories. And then, uh, you know, of course, we made trailers saying we're moving, we're going over here and all sorts of things. And then as well as helping the resurgence of, of drive-ins and theaters stay in their town and stay open was, was remarkable. Yeah. Now that's something you've mentioned a couple times. That I take it is is a big appeal with working with you guys is the fact that you can get these custom snipes. And when you say custom, I take it uh, you mean it'll have the theater's name or specifically play into something that they're promoting. Yes, yeah. Uh, Beside having the stock, and one of the more creative aspects was that we could come up with custom trailers, uh, whether it was a policy trailer or was a welcome to. I remember a couple drive-ins having issues with SUVs parking in front of cars. Yeah, oh yeah. And they would people would get upset. So they came up with an idea, okay, SUVs on the left, regular cars and station wagons on the right. And um, it, it was just amazing of the different issues that came up. And occasionally they would say, okay, you can put your lawn furniture in front of your car, but not in back. And uh, there were just so many different issues at the drive-in that 
we would produce trailers that would um, help traffic control as well as safety for the children or anybody going to the refreshment stands or the bathrooms. Yeah. Staple throughout. It's amazing. Yeah. I, th I find it incredible working at the Mahoning that it's it's constant creativity between the poster art that we do, between the programming, the guests, everything. And I take it one of the most exciting things for you guys is the incredible talent that you uh, were able to work with as far as voice talent and animators and things like that. Anybody notable jump out where you're like, you'll never believe we, we got this, that, the other? We used to do, uh, we were involved with the Variety Club, which is a, a charitable organization for disabled children. And in Chicago, they would film a number of trailers each year. And one year was Bob Hope and oh, yeah. other celebrities who would come into town and, and film it. This is in the 60s and 70s now. And those, I remember hearing about that. Those were remarkable bits. And then the uh, theaters in the area would all show it and they would all uh, have people going up and down the aisles of the indoors seeking contributions to support uh, whether it's La Rubita Hospital or other children's hospitals. Yeah. Mark, what's the one that we show at the uh, Patreon screenings um, of somebody supporting? I think we have a couple. I know one was a Barbara Eden for maybe Christmas yes. Seals or something like that or Easter Seals. Yeah, anything like that, again, like that's the gold for us. It, it instantly takes you back. It, it, it time stamps not just the event and leading up to the movie you're about to watch, but, you know, instantly takes you back to a certain time. Right. And you know, we were able to, to work with these organizations to come up with something custom. In Illinois, we worked with the state of Illinois when they developed the organ donor trailers where on the back of your driver's license you would designate you want to be an organ donor oh, yeah. and every april all the theaters in illinois would would get trailers produced from the illinois secretary of state for organ donor and um we would actually uh, put uh, have one major trailer we would we would film and then put on custom tags on the back end of it so that was always something that came about in april and that was always uh, something very rewarding to do and and, and in our area here in Illinois. Yeah, it seems like constant creativity, constant opportunities, constant means to kind of uh, feed your customer. And and that's the thing more than anything that in doing the research of Filmac is that the customers love you. And it, and it seems like it is a very organic kind of family run business where you can really connect with the person who owns it. So I think that went a long way and it seems like that's still the way you're running your business. Yeah, it's the way we're, we're, we're trying to continue it. It's just very hard uh, with technology changing and a lot of people have retired the talent. We used to have a, had a, a group of freelance voiceovers, uh, male and female, uh, so any client could pick what kind of soundtrack they wanted. Yeah. We would uh, go into a studio in Chicago and mix the sound and animation I would use our in-house and then Amazingly, there became a, a huge crop of freelance artists who all had different techniques and different visions. So it gave us a little freshness rather than use the same creativity on the, on the same in-house people. Right. So we learned that. Um, and that in Chicago, there was a big, big uh, source of labor to help us do that. So we were a little more creative. I love it. Uh, well, in the research I was doing, I know that Fleischer did some animation for you guys, and our base would know Fleischer from 
Betty Boop and Popeye and things like that. But did that happen often where people would kind of come in doing individual work for you and then pop out? It was that back in those days, I remember he was involved with one of our classic trailers, but I don't remember any other famous so-called people creating them for us. We tried to bring it in-house where we can control the budgets and the time a little better. Yeah. Uh, Mark, you have anything for uh, Robbie? Any questions on your list? Well, what I was wondering is with the, the digital business that you do now, what is the percentage, and I'm not looking for an accurate number necessarily, what is the percentage of classic trailers that you're still sending out as opposed to custom trailers for individual theaters? Most of it is all custom now. It would be, it, I have a number of our films that were, were transferred and digitized. So you can you can get digital versions of a lot of our trailers. Those are the custom ones. Um, that's all the lobby, dancing hot dog, all the clocks, all the refreshment trailers for the drive-in. Those are all on flash drive and um, those are available in the drive-ins. Uh, uh, have been using those. And then of course I have the option of making them in custom digital. And that I take it is is really the, why everything shifted for you is when you're sending out 35 millimeter, it, it kind of has a shelf life, even with the uh, steps you guys took to preserve them. So the idea of customers coming back and having to reorder versus now they can order, a, I take it, a disc or a file and that mm -hmm. can last them forever or as long as they keep that file. Yeah, that's right. We're, you know, our policy is that uh, we don't rent our trailers. We sell them or they used to use them. So I'll use. So I send them out on a flash drive right. and they copy and download them and then they return the drive to us. And it's theirs forever. And I don't rent them like some of our competitions. I used to rent them. These are all owned by the theaters. And as long as they don't lose the file or have to redo their server or something blows up, um, they've got them and they can use them you know, freely on any screens they want. Right. It's incredible because, yeah, you go to a uh, any drive-in and nine times out of ten, they're digital and you will see the classic trailers pop up. So it makes total sense that they would just have those in a digital format. Right, right. We took we took the most popular ones because it, it was somewhat of a laborious task to get them converted picture and sound over to digital, you know, in a high res format. And so those are available, the popular ones. And some of the older ones, um, I just it was never a call for. Yeah. Well, we're known for our curation and the titles that we pick, and obviously we're all huge film and movie buffs. And I take it being in the industry so embedded in the industry, you'd have to be as well. If you could put on a double feature, what would be your kind of go-to, just to kind of give the audience an idea of where your tastes and love lies with movies? It's got to be uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark series, the Batman series. Oh, yeah. Those sequels were just fabulous. You couldn't wait for the next one to come out. And uh, I think the studios did a great job with that. Yeah, promoting them and putting them out. Yeah, and, and then the Rocky series, you know, how many of those were there? So, oh, yeah. We did was... one through four. <laughs> huh. Yeah, we did on Friday was one and two. Saturday was three and four. And we go back to it, how we do try to do a lot of these film series and inevitably, it just falls off toward the end. So night one's amazing. Everybody's like, Rocky. And then night two, they're like, oh, man, there's a robot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened when we ran the, we ran Superman one through four. 
Yes. I love the first two Superman movies. And we figured Superman, Superman two, great attendance, Superman three and four, maybe somebody will show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the studios kind of ran their course on the, the sequels on those. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts just to see even the the diet of indoor movies that I have. Again, it's all nostalgia. Everything that's coming out is a remake, a reboot, connected to something that you know and love. So, like I said, I think it it really helps both of our businesses in the fact that we are born and rely on nostalgia. Right. Yeah, and and coming from where we all came from with film. And now nobody shoots film. You don't even shoot film on stills anymore because you just take your your phone and you shoot. Um, And the technology has changed so much that you can take a picture and text or email to somebody and have it. You have to never go to a Walgreens or a photo lab again. And I mean, it's it's just amazing what technology has has done to uh, our business as well as, uh, you know, telecommunications. Yeah, it's insane. But we see it. I mean, hopefully that love for 35 millimeter doesn't go away. We're going to do everything that we can uh, to try to keep that love alive. I got to ask, Robbie, where can people find uh, information on Filmac and what you're doing now? Well, our, our, we had a website. It basically shows what products were available on film. And it's not been updated from digital. Best thing to do is just they can email me at Robbie at Filmac.com. And right. I'd be happy to field any questions through email. That's probably the best way for me, whether it's a drive-in or uh, indoor or whatever, or anybody needing a trailer. Like I said, your family, your company, yourself, you guys are the fabric of the culture that we're fighting to keep alive. So it's incredibly important to us. Um, and we love everything that you guys do and did. Well, thank you. It's, it, it's been a real, a real pleasure to carry on the film act name for the family and also to work with all the all the wonderful people in our industry it's been a great ride well i know that uh you know the fans appreciate everything that you do and again just like when we talk to the owner of rico's nachos it's the experience of going to the movie theater and those things that kind of are the fabric and who's responsible for those things and bringing those things into your lives so if you get happiness out of the drive-in culture and happiness out of those snipes that you see, then chances are you're a big fan of Robbie, Phil Mac, and the whole family. So did you guys ever do any work with Rico's Nachos? I mean, that would be a weird crossover, but... No, I would see them in all our conventions and I knew their product well, but we, we never did a trailer for them. We, we did a number of trailers uh, with Coke and Pepsi and tying into certain products and uh, some of the candy companies and things like that. Right. But, but never the, the nacho cheese uh, chip thing. Well, I got to ask because it's 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 in my brain and it's part of my movie going fabric. Do you guys, are you responsible for, the Regal does uh, like a roller coaster before their movies where, you know, the popcorn pops in your face and the soda's there. Was that you guys? No, we did not do that one for Regal. There was another company around that did that, I believe, in, in uh, the Atlanta area. Yeah. And again, just one of those things that if you went to the Regal as a kid, you could not escape that amazing snipe. All right. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, to talk about, Robbie, or let let the audience know? No, I, I like I said, I just wanted to say that uh, it was it's been a pleasure producing trailers for everybody. You know, through the generations, through all the different formats, and where we are today is something that teaches everybody a lesson about how technology always changes and it changes everything 
Yep. But yet there are people like you guys that will keep that original format and original value together. And it's, it's truly amazing that you can do that. Thank you. Well, thank you for everything that you do. And uh, we can't wait. Hopefully, if we're ever making the travels, we can meet face to face and we can check out uh, what you got going on. It's very exciting. Okay. All right, my friend, be well. Um, and thank you for loving the drive-in and loving the culture and everything that you do. Well, thank you for letting me participate today. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Well, how about that, guys? Uh, yeah. A little touch of history right there. I mean, talk about timeless episodes. This is a guy who has been in the industry with his family since 1919. He's not that old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 1919, we're not only talking silent film, we're talking nitrate. That's what I mean, like the birth of the industry. And, you know, again, these are the people that come into play, you know, have the know-how and the elbow grease with their family to put together a company to feed a now growing market. Just like Nachos, just like Rico's, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And the opportunity to be able to talk to somebody like that is super cool. Mark, tell people how you made that connection. Was it literally like, hey, I'm going to email Robbie at Filmac and see what's what? More or less. I remember there's a documentary called Going Attractions. It's about uh, the drive-in theater, which April Wright directed several years ago. And actually, April is going to be on the show coming soon to Love a it. podcast near Love you. Right. And she interviewed right. Robbie and I thought it was amazing. I'm like, oh my God, it's Filmac and they're talking to somebody from the company. So I knew Filmac had a person in it. <laughs> so I went to their website and found the email and just sent him a message. He was very receptive to the idea of coming on. So cool. You know, and again, yeah. it, it, it shines a light on uh, somebody who, you know, is so responsible for so much. The quote that I loved, and for those who don't know, let's all go to the lobby was put into the National Registry in 2000. And the folks responsible for voting that in said, uh, likely the most viewed piece of film on the planet. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. But I believe but it's it, though. True. Yeah, yeah, like, let's all go to the lobby is one of those things you you cannot escape. It's that jingle, the, that that imagery with it. It's It's just so cool that he and his family are responsible for coming up with that concept and then recording yep. it and putting it out just like unbelievable unbelievable and if you come to the mahoning drive-in theater you will more likely than not see that piece of film or a different filmac trailer i think every night we're probably running some piece of filmac film that's what i was thinking when he was saying his top two i'm like you know and then he started listing some of the other ones he's responsible for i'm like god we play that we play that yep. but yeah the the chili dillies the probably everything that we touch on that is kind of product driven for the drive-in is probably coming from Filmac. And Jeff, you see that the, the print we have of let's all go to the lobby, which a friend of mine bought for me, you believe that that dates probably back to the forties or fifties due to the, due to an aspect of the film stock itself. Yeah. The soundtrack, especially that's a variable density soundtrack. That's uh, that's very close to an original copy. And that speaks well as what Robbie was saying about making their films to last that, yes. you know, it, it's a little, it's a little scratchy and maybe there's a splice in it, but otherwise that, that still looks pretty darn good when it hits that screen. Oh my God. Yes, at, the, at the indoor theater that I owned years ago, I ran, let's all go to the lobby. 
but it had a regular modern soundtrack. Of course, the print was exactly the same. You couldn't tell the difference. But I had a variable area soundtrack, which is the modern day representation on 35 millimeter. But that variable density, they didn't have that soundtrack very long. It was only a couple of years. And that that goes back. It's amazing. Yep. History, the history of it all. And uh, like Mark said, we have a lot of guests lined up. We're going to try to keep bringing you guys the goodness here on the podcast. If you guys are loving it, you know, if, if you know somebody that's in the industry or uh, is the fan of drive-ins, be sure to spread the word just like the uh, love of the drive-in and the growth that we've seen. Uh, the podcast continues to grow every single weekend, likely because you guys are telling people that you're loving it. So continue to do so. And it would be a great time to uh, let you know about the Patreon as well. Mark, do you want to let the fans know how they can get even more fun from the Mahoney? Absolutely. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Mahoning Drive-In, there are three options to join our Patreon, which is a monthly subscription, fee-based subscription service where for either $4.99, $9.99, or $19.99 per month, you can uh, get access to extra stuff. Like we release the podcasts first on Patreon early by a few days. We release certain podcasts exclusively to Patreon. If you're in the top tier, the 1999 Simplex tier, we do, it's now twice a month, uh, exclusive screenings. We do on Wednesdays, a virtual screening, not every Wednesday, one Wednesday a month. And then one Thursday a month, we do a live screening at the drive-in playing a 35 millimeter film print from our or another collector's collections that are things that we normally wouldn't show or haven't shown in decades. And it's a fun kind of insider's club. You also get at any level uh, photos and weekly flashbacks where I post an old Mahoning ad from any time in the last 70 something years, re recounting what the theater ran back then. And it's just sort of a look inside how the theater runs and uh, some, you know, exclusive goodies for your support. <laughs> well worth your dollar. Again, you're supporting the Mahoning Driving Theater, but I can say it. We're having so much fun with these virtual screenings. I said it, your dime is well spent just for that once a month virtual screening, just for the kind of cool culture of it all. But now that we're going to be getting back on the lot, not only do you get the virtual screening, uh, but the following week, which I think we're going to try to keep up with, uh, you'll be getting the on the lot screening as well. So you can literally meet up and hang out with the people that you talk to every single month um, on those virtual screenings. So and the cool thing about it is we know that our wings have spread over the years uh, beyond our local fan base. And we have people who listen to the podcast that are truly fans of film and the culture that will never be able to make it to the Mahoning, whether, you know, it's their location or their situation. So it's a really great way to get um, a taste of what the Mahoning does. Um, in a virtual kind of setting on a regular basis too. Mark updates that Patreon on a daily. Yeah, when I first started with Patreon, they they say in the tips on you know how to how to treat your audience, your subscribers right. They say you know you know one post maybe one or once or twice a month. You know people will appreciate it. And I'm like I'm posting once or twice a day. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> uh -huh. it, it's stuff yeah. that you know. And we our other other social. It's not like we neglect Facebook and Instagram in favor of the Patreon. Those are pretty robust too. It's just we. It's almost like we need this many outlets to to put all of that stuff out there. It's, it, one pipeline is, is not wide enough for it. Right. right. Yeah, in a weird way, we, we like outgrew the amount of time that we have on 
the Facebook and the Instagram where we have so many events that we're releasing. Now we release them literally every other day. And those days between we're trying to use them to promote upcoming shows and uh, when podcasts come out and things like that, where, you know, a lot of this extra content can easily fall through the cracks, but Patreon (laughs) is a great place to house it. And we can always go back and it's a nice kind of timestamp as well to be able to, to scroll through and be like, oh, hey, <laughs> that <Yeah>. happened. <laughs> we took a tip from that from our sewer system, okay? One pipe is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> and what's on Patreon is far more fragrant in a good way. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, and no, it would, speaking of housing things, Patreon is also where we house a lot of content. Like all the podcasts are there. All of the Q&As that we do at the theater, we try to record all of those. If somebody does an on-screen introduction pre-recorded, we put those on Patreon. If somebody does a live introduction from our projection booth, a lot of times if there's a celebrity guest, we'll have them introduce the film. We'll record that and put it on there. So there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of content on there. Yes. Well, you're doing a great job with it, Mark, and hopefully the fans are Oh, my gosh. I mean, clearly they're loving it. But, yeah, we look forward to joining you guys again next week. Be sure to stay tuned to the podcast with all sorts of fun stuff coming. And, of course, shows are coming up. So if you guys want to get tickets, we pretty much have shows every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday moving throughout the whole year. If you want to get tickets, Mahoning, D-I-T, like drive-in theater dot com for all the dates deets and ticks and i think uh, on that note jeff take it away my friend ladies and gentlemen thanks again for coming out tonight to the mahoning drive-in theater we hope you'll come back and see us again real soon the exit is on the right hand side of the screen at the front of the field and most importantly have a very safe trip home good night and god bless you <laughs>